Hi there and welcome to Brave, the podcast about the people, companies, systems and ideas that are contributing to a better future. I'm your host, Beth and Vincent. I'm the managing partner of Open Velocity. We're a marketing strategy consultancy. And this podcast actually predates the business by quite a few years. I started the Brave back in 2019 as an excuse to speak to founders, experts, scientists, innovators about what it takes to build new products, create new markets, and generally challenge the status quo. And this week, we've got a super interesting episode for you, actually, and a Brave first. So, I spoke to Sally Chalk, who is the founder and CEO of Synapse, which is a startup bringing AI and sign language together. And Synapse is actually powering the translation of this episode into British Sign Language, which is amazing and a real demonstration of the power of this technology. And Sally is a super interesting guest because she's an example, A, of a female founder in deep tech, which, you know, is a space where we don't see many female founded businesses I think it's fair to say and in general in kind of startup world and funded startup world I think I was reading a stat today from Sifted that only 7% of funded startups in 2023 were women so that's that's a stat that undoubtedly needs to change and Sally also has you know she's coming from a career working as a practitioner working within the deaf community and working across kind of the public, private and third sectors, all before she entered into startup plans. So she's really interesting example of someone who's kind of pivoted their career to go and do something that could have and is already having a tremendous impact in the world. So in this episode, we talk about using AI for sign language interpretation, why now is the moment that this is becoming available, how this technology is kind of being trialled in the transport sector, for example, We also talk about how Sally and her kind of experience working within the deaf community has led to a real kind of consideration of accessibility and inclusivity and kind of evolving the deaf community in developing this technology. And we also touch a little bit on the history of sign language itself, its evolution and its relationship to the spoken language. And finally, we also talk about entrepreneurship in general and building accessible technology and what that takes. So it's a really wide ranging episode, as they normally are. We kind of delve down different paths, but I'm so kind of proud to be bringing this to you. It's a super interesting one and I hope you enjoy it and I hope you stick around. So my name is Sally Chalk and I'm the chief executive of Synapse. I used to previously run an agency providing sign language interpreters for deaf people in hospitals, police stations, courts, um, anywhere that that an interpreter was needed, basically. When I joined joined the profession, it used to take six weeks to find an interpreter that I, I thought was not great, really. And then when I finished that part of my career we got that down to 30 minutes so we took it from from six weeks to 30 minutes to to get someone in place for a deaf person when they needed an interpreter what happened to me when I was running that company was that I had a lot of clients that were coming to me saying that they needed um, interpreters at scale so maybe they had like 5,000 messages that needed interpreting or maybe they had a document with 60,000 words in it they needed it doing immediately and they also needed doing it at a cost-effective price. And I knew that AI was, was the only way, really, to make that happen. 
I'd been watching the space for about 20 years and the post office did it along with the University of East Anglia about 20 years ago. Um, they, they wanted to communicate with, with deaf people that wanted to buy stamps effectively. Um, I, had, I had a look at the work and, and it, it, 20 years ago, it, it wasn't amazing really, but I had been watching the space ever since then. Um, I did a lot of research. So, and this was during lockdown, so I did have more time, but I, I looked at Hungary and I looked at New Zealand. I looked at Norwich Norfolk, and then I found that the best researchers, I think possibly in the globe, were based at the University of Surrey. So I, I was looking for a tech team, and they luckily were looking for a chief exec to help them spin out their research. They'd been hiding their life under a bit of a bushel um, and, and sort of needed some persuading that the research that they did was brilliant. And it was a love affair, really, a match made in heaven. So we, we, we spun out in February 2022. We got a quarter of a million pounds worth of pre-seed funding. We got £100,000 worth of grant funding. And we got a couple of initial clients as well. In terms of where we started, we started in the transport space. So traditionally, if you're a sign language user and there's a train disruption or a train cancellation, or maybe you're on a train and the train splits halfway, one part of the train goes to one place, one part of the train goes to the other place, you don't have access to the information. So we thought that train stations were a great place to start. Also, the other reason for using sort of train stations, as well as other transport places, is that in the English language, spoken language, there's between 100,000 and a million words that could come up. So it's quite a challenge translating that. If you move into the transport space, there's only about 5,000. So it's much easier to translate uh, words that are used in airports, ferries, bus stations and train stations than, than, than any other conversation. Um, so we decided to start in transport and that, that's where we started, really. It's amazing how rapid your kind of traction has been from idea to, you know, actual product in, in market helping people. And I guess this is one of those ideas where you kind of think, it's so obvious and why hasn't someone done this sooner you know there's such a need for this so it, I guess it was is it AI really the kind of technology component that was required and I guess things like computer vision to really get this to market yeah it, it, it's generative AI a lot of the other organizations are using motion capture that requires like an expensive studio it requires what's called a motion capture suit um, it's a little bit like a wetsuit, but with sort of, what do they call them, like sensors on them. Um, and it's also linear. So every sign needs to be signed by someone in that motion capture suit. So, so taking less account of grammar, structure and nuance as well, because it's very word for word based. Um, so that's one of the reasons why it hasn't taken off. Using generative AI means that the growth learn and learning can be exponential rather than just linear. So we'll get to where we need to go much faster. I, I suppose there was a hype. There is a hype around generative AI. And at first we were like, oh, this is great. But actually, it's been more of a hindrance because a lot mm. of people see it and they go, oh, it's just another person. You know, it's just another company calling themselves generative AI. But we were kind of like using it sort of five years ago, really, rather than rather than five months ago. So so uh, it's 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 that the, the hype has not been the, the best support for us, really. I think the tension comes from when, you know, companies say they're using generative AI or machine learning and actually behind the scenes, like it, it's either like a, a, a 
advanced algorithm and not truly either or actually they're mm -hmm. using a mechanical turk so mm -hmm. you know that there's still kind of human effort in there they're just hiding it essentially under a layer but what what really fascinates me is the kind of real-time component of this so if you're in a train station you know mm -hmm. how quickly can it be translated into sign language from the announcement so it, it's it's pretty much seconds really um wow. I, I mean it's 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 all data driven so say you're at an airport gate that that information about what the announcements are saying the data that drives the announcements can also be used to drive our sign language avatar um, and as long as the data is there, then it can be used in real time. Um, it can also be used for sort of cancellations and delays and problems as well, because that's obviously all, all data driven. And how we do it is we use an API. So it's, it's a simple matter of linking our API with the API from the data source, hooking those two up together. And then you, you've, you've got an output that looks as good as a human. And how is it served to the user? So how do they interact with it? Is that on their own device or is the idea it would be up on a screen? At the moment, it's on a screen. And then what we're working on is it to, to be on people's mobile phones. We're really keen to move into the mobile phone space because it gives the user a lot more control. Not everybody wants to see a sign language interpreter, for instance, so that it gives it gives the user control. And then you have other places. So Canada, Canadian Sign Language, Canada has two languages, it has English and French, and it's mandated that sign language is also in um, American Sign Language and in Lang, Long Sign Francois, that is uh, Canadian Sign Language, French, or Canadian French Sign Language. So you need the, the dual functionality there, and you can only really do that if it's on a mobile platform. So super, super keen to get our product kind of like on mobile platforms as much as possible. Um, and there'll be some quite exciting things happening in that space. Within a couple of weeks, really, we're going to be making some announcements there. Oh, brilliant. Um, so maybe, yeah, by the time this comes out, people will be able to go to your website and see it. That's super yes. exciting. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we really believe in user choice and people being able to pick and choose, you know, where, where they want to see it um, rather than just us as hearing people thinking this is what deaf people want. Yeah, and I guess that's an interesting point because, you know, a lot of technology products, and I won't name names, but are built without actual consultation with the users. And actually, we see this more and more in the AI space. I think the famous example is the, I'm not sure why it was AI-driven hand dryer, but it didn't actually recognize um, the skin tone of people of color. So actually yeah. going, you know, going to the users and who are interacting with this and making sure you're inclusive is so important. And I guess, how, how did you leverage kind of input and insight from the deaf community to build the product? So my, my background's sort of real grassroots consultation with people. And, and we've, we've found that experience one that's kind of doing the company good as well. So we're working with a variety of deaf charities around the UK. Um, one of them, for instance, is called Deafness Support Network. They're based in Warrington. And they've helped us enormously with um, working with, with local grassroots people, going into sort of public spaces and giving feedback about, you know, what they like i think for instance they've found that 80 percent of deaf people have had a bad experience on public transport as a result of information not being accessible so so we we really believe in two principles really one in working with the deaf community it's their language 
and really hearing people trying to impose our version of what we think on them is, is quite oppressive, really. So we're very much uh, a believer in, in user-led consultation and, and talking to people and listening to people. But we also really believe in deaf leadership. So the company, you know, we're appointing in, at key positions um, sign language users and deaf people. We have a deaf board and we have deaf members of staff as well. Um, so there's the, a history there of oppression that we're kind of not, not keen to replicate, really. Of course. And, and I guess um, for the majority of listeners, they may not have encountered a deaf person or have a deaf person in their life. And I think you can probably speak to how transformative this is to a deaf person. And from initial feedback, have you got any sense of how it's been received by these users? Again, looking at the report that's going to be uh, released in a couple of weeks, that 85% of people have been very positive about, uh, about our product. More than 50% said they wanted it available on screens and on mobile phones as well. Um, so, so all the feedback there has been very positive. You know, the old school route used to be it, it's either this way or that way. You know, you either have a cochlear implant or you don't have a cochlear implant. You either sign or you don't sign. And I think with the generation growing up, what we're seeing is that there's a variety of modalities that people use to communicate and sort of navigate their way through the world, whether that's phone, text messaging, WhatsApping, cochlear implants, signing. From what I've seen, that the generation that's coming up is much more flexible and also much more caring less about things that my generation care about. Like I know that I feel really passionately about the NHS, whereas I know much younger people care less about, you know, using a private doctor. They just use whatever's easiest and what's ever simplest. Again, my generation are more like suspicious of AI, whereas again, I know the generation coming up, they're like, whatever works really, like just give it to us, please. <laughs> so feel very heartened that, that you know, rather than, you know, strict binaries, that there's, there's much more of a sort of multiplicity of ways of seeing the world and communicating, which is exactly the space we want to be in, really. I just wanted just to give a bit of context for, for sign language. Sign language is not a word-for-word -word translation. Um, it's, it's, a whole, it's a whole culture, it's a whole grammar, it's a whole sort of syntax of its own. So it's, it's not, if you think about doing like French translation, First of all, it's in two dimensions. It's a it's a, a sound wave, whereas sign language is in three dimensions. But it's also, you know, French has sort of very straight, relatively straightforward rules, whereas sign language has 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 its own complexity, really. So there's there's that that um that that adds to kind of what we're doing. Um and very aware that deaf community has its own culture and community of its own that sees themselves not as being disabled, but as being a sort of linguistic and cultural minority, massively backed up by the, by the, the BSL bill and, and legislation that's going through Parliament at the moment to support that. So there's a really good um, tailwind for us uh, at home, but also in America and in Europe as well. Um, so the legislative tailwinds are very positive for us. Um, and in terms of recognition of, of sort of minorities as well. And, and also the, around the globe, I mean, this is a question that we often get asked, is like, is this going to be universal and why don't deaf people just speak one sign language? 
um, which is always a bit of an odd question, really, because there's 300 different sign languages in, in the globe. Um, American Sign Language is one of the biggest ones. British Sign Language is one of the smaller ones because there's only 80,000 Brits. Um, and there's, you know, Indian Sign Language and Australian Sign Language are also big ones. You can also, it's absolutely fascinating, but you can follow the history of sort of colonialization through the languages. So you can see that Australian Sign Language is quite similar to British Sign Language because we used to send our prisoners over to, to, to Australia. So there's some links there. And as those links are getting further apart, the languages are also getting further apart. Um, American Sign Language isn't like British Sign Language, it's like French Sign Language because it was the French priests um, in the 18th century who migrated to um, America and, and took their French Sign Language to America. So you can see the patterns of the globe in the patterns of sign language. And I, I think personally, it's fascinating. That is fascinating. And this is completely a question coming from ignorance, but does sign language then evolve as a language as either in on its own kind of stream or as the language it's, I don't wanna say based on, cause that's probably not the correct terminology, the language it's kind of mirroring or translating from evolves. Stephen Pinker wrote quite a lot about this in a book called The Language Instinct. Um, and they, 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 they believe based on sort of imaging of people's brains in that sign language is based on the gestural part. So it's the bit of your body that learns to move. Um, but spoken language is very fine motor skills because it's all based in your throat. Whereas gestural languages are more gross motor skills, not gross as in horrible, but gross as in big. Um, and you, a baby learns to walk before they learn to talk. So a baby will learn sign language before they learn to speak. Um, so there are some people who use sign language to communicate with their babies. So they will they will they will use like hungry, thirsty, tired, and you can communicate with the baby using sign language about roughly about 12 months before you can communicate using words. So it's oh, wow. kind of it's, it's it's based very very deep within people's brains that is fascinating there were two reasons i wanted to speak to you first up was that this is an amazingly positive use of technology and that's really heartening to hear about because there's a lot of kind of no, not great news in the world at the moment hmm. and the, the second one was you know it's very rare to meet a non-male ceo in the kind of d-tech Mm. AI space mm. and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit to us about your experience of that so far. I think it's been a learning curve. I think you need to have a great growth mindset and I think you need to be willing to, to, to look and to learn and to read and to find out. I think you need to be have quite a thick skin as well and I think you need to bite your tongue quite a lot my style is is not confrontational it's not abrasive I, I lead by consensus rather than sort of by diktat and there's a few times that I just have to bite my tongue really um I was speaking to a 23 year old yesterday and he told me he's he he said do you know what a chief of staff is and then proceeded to tell me what a chief of staff is <laughs> but you kind of have to let a lot of stuff wash over you that there's, there's there's various schools of thought about how to sort of deal with it really but I tend to sort of smile and and, and just get on with the job in hand really so I, my, I'm a great believer in focus and just doing like just really really focusing on one thing do that one thing really really well and I think if you get distracted with politics and you know 
worrying about things and it takes your mind off the focus. Um, I've had some quite interesting personal sort of focuses for myself in my career, especially during lockdown. Lockdown, it was like, I'm, I'm not going to lose any staff. And I'm going to make X, you know, and I had sort of profit objectives and I had objectives for the 1500 students that I was looking after as well. And I think if you set yourselves just really clear objectives, I think that really helps rather than getting involved in, in, in politics or, or um, internal problems and issues. So that's always been my ethos, really. I'd agree with all of that, to be perfectly honest. And I guess the kind of investment side, because obviously you've kind of raised investment. How, how yeah. have you found that? Because from kind of conversations I've had, I do think women have a harder time. But I mean, all the statistics, you know, back this up as well, but anecdotally. So I was just wondering what your experience of kind of raising has been. I think it's been a challenge, but I think it's probably been a challenge partly because of the economic environment at the moment. I know they like the Ukraine war um, and, and the, the generative AI hype that I was talking about before has, has not helped. So there's been a lot of teamwork involved, but I think the key thing's been finding those funds and those investors that really believe in the product and that also will really back you as a person. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I spoke to someone the other day and he'd done 400 pitches uh, you know, that's a lot of time to spend pitching and a lot of time that you're not selling as well. Um, so it's about targeting those funds that you know are going to be receptive to what you're trying to do um, and building a team, building a community and using that team and that community to lift you up and networking as well. It comes back to that kind of perseverance and focus, doesn't it, that you were kind of yes. talking about before and having yeah. that growth mindset and dealing with the rejection because it's going to basically going to happen at some point, right? <laughs> Yes, and not letting it distract you. Like, this is where I'm going and I'm going to keep yeah. going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess from, from your experience throughout your career, how, how do you think we can support and I guess encourage more women to found innovative businesses that solve these real societal challenges we've got? Is there anything more we could be doing? There was two things that have always driven me. One, one is my sort of mum's ethos about sort of giving back to community. I, I don't believe in God, but I do believe that in the time that we're on the earth, it's it's our job is to make it a better place for other people in the community. And if we can't do that, then it's not much point in being alive, really, you know? So it's about giving back with our time. And, and then the other one is, I guess, impatience that I get from my father. He, he would knock you. Um, and, and I just always feel that that kind of like, you know, let's just get things done and let's have a focus and let's let's be impatient about things um, rather than getting distracted. Sometimes things can fall by the wayside a little bit, but then there's always time to sort of pick things up. I also would take it back to being a team. You know, I, I've got three kids, two cats, and it's like it's about you, you can't do that without teamwork so there's other people in my family especially my partner that you know have all contributed to helping me raise this family and two companies as well really so I'd, I'd say teamwork as well yeah and, and again I think that that's kind of backed up by all the data that suggests women who have support with things like child rearing child raising perform better economically and I kind of hate that as like it feels really in personal kind of measure but yeah. that's probably what we're missing as a society at the moment I would that's my personal view um 
but yeah it is that kind of support angle is totally important yes. you couldn't do it without really things do fall by the wayside like my when my son was at school the headmistress was always ringing me up and just like not not picking up the phone to her really because I was just busy sort of building the company really and I never went to any of my kids you know school plays or anything or so they tell me it's like there's just some things you do have to sacrifice but then I made up for it in other ways when when they got older so it's like you can't do everything you'd fall over uh, for me you know building a company and, and improving improving the world was one of the things that was a priority um, and then I made up for the school plays later and I think that's what's for me speaking as you know a younger founder with all the questions around like having children and what mm. about the future and stuff mm. and here mm. actually it's okay to focus on building a company and mm. to be the CEO because you're told the reverse narrative a lot where it's like actually no 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 you should should be okay with like sacrifice your career for the sake of other womanly duties <laughs> people love telling women how to be how to exist don't they they love saying you have to be this type of woman or you have to be that type of woman and I, I just say, be who you want to be. If you want to be a chief exec, that there should be that support and drive to do that. But equally, if you want to stay at home and wear kits and then, then you know, that's fine as well. It's, it's all right. Someone who's very, very dear to me, someone told her she was being a bad feminist because of, of something that she did. And it's like, there's a bloke telling a woman how to be a feminist. <laughs> Yeah, and if 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 for nothing wasn't feminism about choice, it was about winning choice. No, I'm going to buy a T-shirt that says I'm a bad feminist. It's like it's <laughs> so. I I think it's we should just be how we want to be. Really, you know, we have the right to self determination. We have the right of agency, and we have have our control over our own lives, don't we? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree with that. I'd have that on a t-shirt as well. Coming back around to sign up, so you kind of mentioned in the beginning, really exciting kind of future plans, and you've got really interesting stuff coming up. I'd love <laughs> to have a window into that kind of what's what's next for what you're doing, and you know what's the ultimate, what's the kind of end game? Is it that you know this would be embedded in Netflix and you could kind of automatically turn it on or something like that? Okay, now that's that's a great that's a great question. So um, what we're doing at the moment and what we're going to do over the next eighteen months is get to something called unconstrained translation. Right, it's okay. like unlimited translation. Cool. So, for example, this conversation could be translated and could be accessible. Um, but there's eighteen months worth of work. So at the moment, um, we have a video translation product. So we're working very closely with e-learning platforms, with the NHS, and with sort of big global training providers on starting to get their training materials um, accessible. We, we can do it because we can work at scale, and it's also not, not live. So you've, you've got a week to work on a, um, a training product. So, but where we need to get to is a step from there into being able to use it to translate a live conversation. And, and that's the journey that we're on in the next 18 months. In terms of, of where we want to get to, the digital world is a very audio world. As it's moved online, it's moved towards voice and hearing. So Siri or, or podcasts like this or, or YouTube, it, it's all about sound and the voice. And we want to be part of the movement that's moving it more towards accessible formats, 
and accessible content. Um, and we'll, we'll do this with, with that. Our product will be part, part, part of that movement, really. So you think all the videos in YouTube currently inaccessible if you're a sign language user. As is a caption button, you can do automatic captions on YouTube. We'd like to have an automatic sign language button as well. If you look at all the podcasts, there are all the, all the uh, Joe Rogan podcasts, for example. I don't know how much content there is there, but if you could provide those in sign language, that would be amazing. And then what would be great would be, you know, if Chrome had a little button at the top that you, you pressed on the Chrome button, and again, whatever came up on your browser was, was translated into sign language. So we've got very big sort of ambitions, a very big vision. Our vision is to translate all the world's words into sign language. So we've, we've got a big vision. That's amazing. I will uh, keeping my eyes out for every kind of step of the way. Listeners of this podcast are kind of really, really broad. And actually, they may be listening to this and thinking, hmm, my company might be interested in working with you guys. What's the best way to kind of contact you and reach out? I'm, I'm on LinkedIn constantly. Find me on LinkedIn anytime um, or through this podcast or through our website. Um, again, if you just put sign ups AI, we've got quite good um, SEO at the moment. So you'll, you'll find us just through search. Thanks so much to Sally for coming on and having a chat with me. That was that was fascinating. That's a real story of a technology that could have a profound and fundamental impact on people's lives. And I'm really excited to see where it goes next. And I hope to live in a world where it's kind of as standard on every kind of display and every train station and every airport and all of that. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, actually, I have a bit of favour to ask. Um, So as you may or may not know, the whole podcast kind of ecosystem is driven by ratings and all reviews. And ratings and reviews drive basically your listing in the rankings, they drive new listeners and all of that kind of stuff. So if you enjoyed this episode, I would be really grateful if you could leave a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. As I said, this helps us reach more listeners and kind of spread the word about the podcast. And finally, if you're interested in a particular episode or theme or topic or person being covered, or you'd like to pitch yourself feel free to reach out to me. You can get me on bethan at openvelocity.co.uk. I'm also on all the major kind of social platforms at Bethan Vincent. And finally, I hope to see you in the next episode. I hope you have a fantastic week. What's left of it? And we will speak soon.